All righty. Uh, listen, first of all, uh, great to uh, see everybody here today. Thank you for uh, all turning out. I know it's uh, not for me, it's for, it's for Guy. Um, before we get started, uh, just a quick rundown on how this will uh, work or should work more so. Uh, Guy and I are going to talk for about uh, 20 minutes or so. Obviously, you've got questions. We're going to leave the 10, 15 minutes at the end uh, for you to, uh, to ask those questions. Um, the other thing I would say before we get started, um, I have one of these two. Phones. If everyone could take their phone out, there is a, a little knob. It's not a design flaw yet. It's, it's actually a power button. You may not use it very often, but <laughs> I assure you if you turn your phone off, it will not default to factory settings. Everything will come back. <laughs> so, uh, there may be a competition later uh, for uh, best uh, Star Wars ringtone, but uh, not in the next hour. So, appreciate you all doing that. So, uh, just uh, by way, I suppose, of uh, introduction, uh, Guy is the chief evangelist of Canva. It's a uh, graphics design online service and also an executive fellow at the Haas Business School of, Haas School, excuse me, of Business in UC Berkeley. Formerly, he was an advisor to the uh, Motorola Business Unit of Google and uh, also chief evangelist at Apple. Uh, he is also uh, the author of Ape, What the Plus, Enchantment, and nine other books. Guy has a BA from Stanford University and an MBA from UCLA, as well as an honorary doctorate from Babson College. So without further ado, please welcome Mr. Guy Kalsoff. <laughs> So, yes. thanks, thanks again, Guy. Great, yes. great for you to, uh, to, to, to do this for us. We appreciate it. This, uh, is, my, this is my last appearance of the year. So, uh, <laughs> last appearance. After this, I'm done. You're done. You are, you are literally on a, on a jet plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, great, great, uh, great bio. Um, you're also actually on the board of uh, Wikimedia Foundation, yes. right? Uh, Wikimedia Foundation is the entity that runs Wikipedia and the other wiki properties. Right. Not not WikiLeaks. <laughs> not not Wiki. Not the other. The other. Not the other. No. Wiki, like. No. I, I can travel. There you go. <laughs> but, but if you uh, if if you look to your uh, to your Wikipedia profile, yes. uh, it says that uh, you popularized uh, the concept of uh, evangelism marketing and also technology. Evangelism. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was Jesus before me, but yeah. I, <laughs> it's a pretty powerful term. You got to admit that. Yeah. The first it was Jesus, and then it was Guy. It was like, <laughs> It's like a big gap. There's two thousand year gap there, but yeah. Is there is there an innovation curve jump you're gonna you're gonna uh, do? No, I think it was downward from Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> look, um, evangelism is certainly a, a, a big word, right? Yeah. You know, we live in the look. We live in the valley. Technology is pretty much a religion in itself around here, right? Um, but uh, you know, from a from a title perspective, you think back to you've had this title in a number of places. You've had the title back at Apple. Mm -hmm. You are now have the title as chief evangelist, obviously in, in Canva. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how did this come about? How did, you, how did you sell this? Like, hey, I want to be chief evangelist, well, or what I, happened? I was bequeathed the title at the Macintosh division. So uh, evangelism oh. comes from Greek words, uh, meaning bringing the good news. So the concept at Apple was that rather than introducing you know, yet another personal computer, uh, Macintosh was a more impactful platform that would change people's lives. So it was not just another personal computer. It would make people more creative and more uh, empowered and more productive. And so rather than selling Macintosh, we evangelized Macintosh because we thought it was good news. And so 
that's the key. Uh, a very good dichotomy between evangelists and sales is that typically an evangelist has the other person's best interests at heart. Typically, a salesperson has their own interests at heart. So a salesperson is trying to make the commission, trying to make the quota, trying to make a buck. Whereas an evangelist is trying to help people's, other people's lives be better. So when I evangelize Macintosh, and to this day, I truly do believe that uh, me suggesting that you use a Macintosh is in your own best interest. In fact, right now, it has no bearing on my interest. So, uh, and that's the difference uh, between evangelism and sales. Uh, it's about bringing the good news. So for example, with Canva, I think Canva is a great online graphics design service that enables you to create graphics that um, without training, without buying a high-end product. So I think it democratizes design, so that is good news. So I'm an evangelist for Canva as opposed to a salesperson for Canva. Right, right. And democratization is something that you've, you've talked about before, whether it was it. like search or obviously with, with Canva. It, it, is the whole idea of trying to you know, make things easier for people to engage with and not have this, oh, it's really complex, you, you yes, couldn't I mean, do this? Yes, certainly that's part of it. Um, but for me, I, I'm trying to empower people. Right. I'm trying to make the world more of a meritocracy. Right. So it doesn't matter you know, who you are, whose child you are, um, even what school you went to, certainly what race, color, creed, sexual orientation, let me, I got all the boxes, race, <laughs> color, creed, sexual, gender, gender, uh, and religion. Uh, or Irish. Or, <laughs> Guinness. Yay. Um, I think it should be a meritocracy, so I think that, you know, that Wikipedia has democratized knowledge, um, Apple democratized computing, Canva's democratizing design. And I think the world is a better place if it's a meritocracy. So I'm not, listen, I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the world should be a completely even playing field, okay? I just think that everybody should have equal opportunity to tilt the field their way. Right. Because I'm, believe me, I'm all for tilting fields. <laughs> but just let it be built on meritocracy, not any of the other variables. Right. Um, right. So when you're, when you're looking at you know, getting more people involved in, in things like that, and let's say things don't become as scary for people to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, you've also said that uh, you know, back in the day when you were in Hawaii in Ohlone College, you learned that editing was the key to, to, to writing. To, to writing yes, right? yes. And I suppose editing is the key to, to a lot of things, but sometimes it's just really hard to start because the tools are just scary. Right? Yeah. So, when you are in that process and when you are, say, editing something, um, uh, what, what, what is it the process that you go through? You've got a lot of maybe designers here and we're all trying to edit yeah, things. Yeah, so is, there, yeah. is it a gut process? I've got to um, stop on a date? What well, is it? I'll tell you my process, not that it's optimal or the only way. So for me, I've written 13 books now. Or some people would say I wrote one book 13 times. Um, it's a good series. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to run a winner. Um, <laughs> So for me, uh, I, I go through these stages where uh, I believe in really writing a total outline. So I write an outline from, from the preface to the index. Microsoft Word, outline format, four or five levels deep. Okay, so it takes me about two or three months to do that. Then I put the outline out to anybody who follows me on social media. And I say, this is the Word outline. If you see any missing pieces, tell me now. So then I let them thrash on the outline. I get all that feedback, 
and then I just dive in and I just start writing. And for me, writing, to use a perhaps unpleasant metaphor, um, I like to go from the outline and then I like to write as fast and furiously as possible. And uh, the metaphor I use is I'm vomiting it out. I'm trying to vomit out a book as fast as I can, get it out in the largest quantity. And then, uh, the, so that takes about six months. And then the next six months is what I call refining the vomit, where this is where I'm picking out the undigested bits of food so that I'm left with only nutrients. Um, and that's the stage I like the most. I like editing the most. I love to edit. It's part of my OCD-ness. It's part of my Asian upbringing. I just, you know, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, you know. Like, if you want to be a sushi chef, the first three years, you only can clean the knife. The second three years, you, you know, you can only like wash the dishes. And then like in the seventh year, you can finally cut the fish the first time. That's like my kind of thing. Um, so I love to do that. Uh, I use Microsoft Word. I know that people are going to think I'm crazy, but um, I need the outlining of Microsoft Word. I also need the style sheets of Microsoft Word. Um, I can't do it in any other word processor. I know there are some things that are meant for, for authors, but I just, I need, to send, I need to send Word documents to editors, to reviewers. I mean, just I'm, I'm Word-centric. Uh, and do you work then to just the timeline? Is the timeline the thing that says, okay, I'm, I'm done? Is the timeline forcing you to complete? Uh, yes, uh, it's more the seasonality of it that you know you want to hit the fall, for example. Right. Uh, you, you don't want to finish a book. <laughs> you know, you don't want to publish a book in in December. <laughs> it's better to be in October or November. Right. Uh, some of this that. Some of it, frankly, is just a contract. So uh, if you know if if Penguin says they want it then. You deliver it then. It's just so hit yeah. your dates. Yeah, you hit your dates. I mean, it's, it's not like software. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be honest. You, you hit a date, <laughs> right, right? And then right. you keep moving, <laughs> right? Um, you know, one of the, uh, one of the the I one of the crucial factors in the innovative software in the Macintosh world was that there were two MacWorld Expos a year. One was January, and one was August. And let's just say it wasn't coincidence that lots of things got finished in January and August, okay? And if, and if I think if there were not two Macworld Expos a year, there would be half as many software products because <laughs> there's only one deadline a year. Uh, so it forced people to do it. It really did. It, and, and I think, you know, another factor today is probably South by Southwest. Right. You know, people are jamming to finish stuff by South by Southwest. So that's thank God for some of these conferences. I mean, for no other purpose, they force people to, you know, if, if you're the CEO or the VP of engineering, you know, it's, it's kind of like Christmas, right? You can't say, well, let's just postpone Christmas for the software release. You can't postpone Christmas. You can't postpone South by Southwest. You can't postpone MacWorld Expo. Thank God for that. So, 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 so let's think about that. And yeah, absolutely, South by Southwest and the other conferences where people are coming out with their new innovation. Right. Um, is it really innovation, right? You know, or, or where are, is there curves? And you talk about the jumps. Yeah. Are, are we seeing a lot of things that are good, but we were maybe talking about them for like 10 years and the technology yeah, yeah. has just caught up? Um, I think this is a natural way of looking at things that um, as you get older, you always, you get more skeptical and you always sort of remember, you know, if I were to cop the attitude, the attitude would go something like this. So, you know, when I was in the software business, we had these major releases and it, you know, 
we went from 1.0 to 2.0 and we, we documented everything. We wrote manuals and we delivered shrink wrap packages and you know, people worked hard and it wasn't about the volleyball and the free sushi and the massages and the rides from San Francisco and the skinny jeans and the messenger bag and the facial hair. We were all changing the world. And this generation of millennials, they're, they're not, they don't work as hard, they don't care as much, they're in for the money. Uh, like basically every generation says that about the past, the past, right? So, you know, uh, it, I think it's very similar to music that, you know, I, I, I say about my kids' music, you know, like One Direction, what kind of bullshit rap? <laughs> like that, that's not music, right? Why is this on my playlist? Right, right. And, and, and so, so I say that, but my father said, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Blood, Sweat and Tears. You don't even know who these are, right? Like, <laughs> I, I actually that's, do, yeah. That's not music. And then I suppose that, you know, my father's father was saying, Elvis Presley, you call that music? You know, Guy Lombardo is music. By the way, I was named after Guy Lombardo. So, so I think it's a, that's a natural thing that every generation remembers their youth as we worked harder, uh, we didn't do any stupid things. You know, all these kids with social media, they do such stupid things. They're drunk, they're naked, they're doing all this kind of stuff. When I was their age, I never did anything stupid. You know, all I, I worked for Habitat for Humanity every weekend. I, you know, I was president of the physics club. I left my camera at home because it was just too big to put in my pocket. Right, 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 right. So I think a lot of it is just, and you, as you get old, start believing your own bullshit, basically. <laughs> well, well I, 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 yeah, I've got One Direction on my, uh, on, on my Spotify list for my kids, but I, I do have them already singing Brass Monkey from the Beastie Boys. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, yeah, but I, I can. I know. understood about 50% of what you just said. That's, <laughs> that's the Irish. Right? Yeah. Democratization. Right. Okay. So, you know, as we kind of like look forward and like, you know, yeah, absolutely, there are these kind of looking back in my day, it wasn't like that, but it, it, it clearly was, right? Um, <laughs> we are now all walking around with, you know, these things, right? Yeah. You know, these, these have more power than Apple IIs, you know, that you and I kind of like maybe started with kind of situation. And are, are we less, um, are we more ADD that we expect things to be right now all the time? Well, Is there a less crappy type of situation but, happening? But, but I, I have to say, I mean, I think what I just said about music and products also yeah. applies to this that you know I, I think there's this natural tendency to say well you know we, people used to meet each other and they used to like in the old days families would sit around a table and they would make a meal together and then they would eat these like these two three hour dinners and they would discuss philosophy and religion and then they'd go out of the kitchen and they go into the family room and they would play board games all night, right? And so now everybody's sitting at a table and they all got their iOS device and nobody's looking up and nobody's talking to so. But truly, I mean, I, like, I don't remember playing board games with my parents. I'm 61 years old. I mean, I, I wanted to get the hell out of here. Just like, right, so I think a lot of it is the same thing that, you know, you say, well, oh, you know, people used to talk to each other and then, you know, then there was this thing called monks and they started writing the Bible so people didn't have to just talk about the Bible, people like read the Bible and then Gutenberg really screwed everything up because now you could make 2,000 Bibles a day and then God forbid Adobe with, um, with Postscript and all this PageMaker, now you could print unlimited Bibles per day. So now, 
You know, so like nobody talks to each other, nobody reads anymore. Now there's the web and now there's Kindle, so we're all with our devices, so it's reading and writing isn't like it was in the old days. It's total bullshit. I mean, you know, like it's it's such a better world with these devices. I don't Absolutely. I have, it's, it's, I have friends all over the world. Yes. I could never have these friends. Never. For sure. Never. There's no way. It, it has brought me closer to people. It's brought me closer to my own family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We use them uh, all the time, you know, uh, grandparents in Ireland and so on. Right. Um, but, but do people expect a, a better product these days, do, do, do you think? Because there's so many options, maybe, on one device. Well, I, I, I hope so. I think so. Um, i, I got to tell you, in that sense, I think that Apple is dropping the ball a little. Um, I think the... Um, the Apple experience is getting worse and worse in terms of, well, you know, case in point, uh, someday try to set up a multi-Wi-Fi multi, um, router Apple network. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know if you really want to dig into the weeds of this, but you know, if, if you have a house and you want to put in two airport expresses or two airports or whatever, Try to figure it out. Try to figure out that, you know, do you extend a network or are you creating a network? You know, are you bridging or not bridging? It's all these kinds of things. And I bet all of you, you know, you have a computer and you have a phone. And I bet most of you, because I don't think I do, have contacts not configured right. Do you back up to iCloud or not? Do you, does Google contacts talk to contacts or not? You know, where, where are the contacts? And I bet your calendaring is the same. And there's like a lot of stuff that, I wish someone would just like try to try to see what people go through. That um, even when you buy a movie or a TV series, you know, on iTunes, like do, now you you bought this TV series. You know, do I launch iTunes to watch it, or is it movies, or is it video? You know, which app am I using? And you guys can help fix this because like people don't know. Hey, you know, Apple, uh, get started at Zerb.com. Give us a call. John Ive will be calling you this afternoon. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it, it is interesting because, it, it, let's just think about Apple, um, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong. I remember somebody somewhere saying that Steve Jobs said, you don't, you don't ask people what they want, you tell them what it is. Yes. So if that's a philosophy that Apple have, is it that they're just building things in a bubble and not talking to people about do these work? Them, yeah, I, I would say not just Apple, everybody. No, but I, I think that um, you know when I was at Apple, there's no such thing as market research, right? right? So, for Apple, market research or a focus group was the fact that Steve Jobs' left and right hemispheres of his brain was connected. That was the focus group: two people, <laughs> left hemisphere, right hemisphere. And so, um, and you know, uh, I have to say that having worked for him, he was brilliant. It was fantastic, the best experience of my life one of the most painful also, but um, I would not be here without Steve Jobs, don't get me wrong. So I, I learned one thing from Steve, which is a dictatorship is a very efficient political system. It is, <laughs> seriously, seriously, it's really efficient. But you have to have a great dictator, right? That's where most systems fail, because you have an incompetent dictator. You have a brilliant dictator, Lee Kuan Yew, I mean, you know, he made a country, right? He made Singapore. Singapore yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't because they were all holding hands, singing Kumbaya, electing <laughs> you know, officials. It was Lee Kuan Yew's thing. And they're still great. And they're still great. And so, you know, uh, I got to tell you, there's, the, the dangerous thing about using Apple as an example is that there has only been one Apple, right? right? So th this is like saying, well, um, th this is kind of the danger with sports heroes. That you say, you know, I want to be the next LeBron James, but there's only been, you know, one LeBron James. There's been one Wayne Gretzky. There's been one Michael Jordan. Uh, so you can't, you can't pattern your life against that. And uh, I, I just like the odds of a person being the next Steve Jobs is low. In fact, right. it's probably zero. But and I think a lot of people have difficulty. This is really wandering here, but uh, I think a lot of people have difficulty separating causation and correlation. And so if you watch the movie or you read the book and you read all the stuff about Steve, basically everything you read is true. Um, but I think some people come away with it thinking, well, I will wear Levi's. I will wear New Balance. I wear black mock turtlenecks. Uh, I will lease a Mercedes but never register it. I will drive in the carpool lane by myself. I will park in the handicap slot. I will tell people that they're shit in front of all their colleagues, and I'll be the next Steve Jobs. And in fact, you'll just be an asshole. <laughs> and so, you know, that's, that's the problem. Um, and, and, you know, to not, we don't want to focus too much on Steve, but, you know, in a sense, if you, you look at Google and say, okay, so we're going we're gonna to take our mediocre company, and we're going to build a sand volleyball court. And we're going to have a sushi chef come in. And we're going to put in a washer and dryer. And we're going to have this minivan that takes our employees from here to the city with Wi-Fi on it. And we'll be the next Google. In fact, what you'll have is a mediocre company with very good volleyball players <laughs> who eat a lot of sushi and have clean clothes and are well massaged. I mean, so, so once these people get out of like, you know, their, their massaged volleyball experience, yeah. um, Everybody's on some sort of journey for their career. They're, they're, you know, they're looking for, for something. Yeah. Right? Um, and maybe they're good at volleyball. Maybe they should be better at technology or engineering or whatever <laughs> it is. What, what do you see in kind of creating this experience? What is it that skills that you really need? Outside of like, I'm an engineer, I'm a marketeer, yeah. I'm a business oh. person. What are the things that really innate to say, okay, I, you've got some I, things I, that need to happen? Fundamentally, there are only two essential skills. Basically, you got to be able to make something or you have to be able to sell it. That's it. That's right. it. All of business boils down to somebody's going to make it and somebody's going to sell it. Everything else is bullshit. So, and so, so if you're doing that though, right? So if you making it or selling it. Yeah. So if you're an engineer and you say you're, you, you're, you're making things unique and valuable. Yeah. Right? And yeah. if you're a marketeer, you know, you're, you're, you're communicating why that is valuable. Yes. Right. That's, and all now we, now, that's good. Right. So I think you said that. So it's great. Um, <laughs> You're now with uh, uh, Canva and like design. So what's a what's a designer? Where does a designer fit into these? Making buckets? it. Making it. Yeah. Right. right. Um, so engineers and designers are starting to mesh into a kumbaya. Well, I'm not saying only engineers make stuff. Yeah. I think artists make stuff. Programmers make stuff. Oh, they're engineers. Uh, so it, it it really is making or selling. Um, for, particularly for an entrepreneurial organization or a, a startup, that's it. That's right. what it comes down to, you know, and all the other stuff. If, listen, if you're not making it or you're not selling it, you're not succeeding, basically. I mean, that's... Yeah. that's and, and, and if you're making it, where does experience come in? 
this is a complex question. I, I, you know, so there's the concept that you should find people with proven track records who've made stuff before and all that. Uh, I completely understand that theory. Uh, having said that, I also tell you that as you get older and you have you develop certain habits for better or for worse, and uh, you too will have a personal issue about separation separating causation from correlation. So if you you know, let's say you you um, you grew up in a world where there was multiple stage distribution. So you sold your product to a distributor who sold it to a retailer who sold it to the end user. And so that's the world you grew up in and you were very successful in it. So now you go to another company and guess what system you're going to do, right? You're not going to think about crowdfunding. You're not going to think about selling direct, putting up your own website, you know, worst case, uh, getting a store in Etsy, you're going to think, oh, I got to sell it to a distributor who sells it to a retailer who sells it to a person. And so uh, I think you get stuck in those ways. And, and that's the danger of experience. That um, The good news is you have experience. Uh, you've done it before. You know how to make something work. The bad news is maybe that's the only thing you can now wrap your mind around. And, and that is the tricky thing. So you know, for me, I succeeded because of this concept of evangelism. So now I view everything through an evangelistic lens, right? To me, everything is evangelizable or not. Um, when in fact, there are other filters you could apply. So I, I have my own set of blinders on. Um, so, so what drew you then to wanting to, to be the, the evangelist for, for Canva? Uh, actually, Canva found me, and I looked at that and I said, so this is a, a little piece of advice for you if you ever need to raise money or something. So I think a lot of people, uh, when they try to raise money or they try to convince someone to join a company, they try to uh, do a spreadsheet or at least a projection in their mind of, uh, you know, this is the, I'll, I'll give you a real facetious example so it's easy to understand. So uh, I think a lot of people go through a, a, a line of reasoning like this. There's 300 million Americans, one in four owns a dog, 75 million dogs. Each dog eats two cans of dog food per day. That means 150 million cans of dog food per day are consumed. So with my rock star programmers, how hard could it be to create a website that sells dog food online and get 1% of the market? 1% of 150 million cans of dog food per day is one and a half million cans of dog food per day. Dogs eat 365 days a year. This is B2C, not you know, B to B, at least B to D, but, um, <laughs> and so, and so this, this mathematical calculation, uh, and the, the problem with this mathematical calculation is that every entrepreneur does this, right? It's, it's 300 million Americans, one in four owns a dog, it's 300 million Americans, and you know, one in four wants Wi-Fi, or I don't, whatever it is, it, there's always this top-down analysis. Uh, and, and that just, a better way, a better way is to never use numbers like that. And what you want to do is you want to catalyze fantasy. And so the way you catalyze fantasy, the goal is for the person you're talking to, to go through some kind of mental calculation that leads them to believe you have a fantastic idea. So... Rather than me saying, well, there are over, I'm making these numbers up because I have no idea. Uh, there are over 25 million images created per day on the web. And if we could just get you know, 
10% of those images, two and a half million images created by Canva per day times 365, we would create a billion images a year. Do you realize how big a market that is, right? So that would be sort of the, 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 the mathematical way. The, the fantasy way is everybody needs graphics. Because if you want to communicate today, it's no longer a pure text world. So whether it is a website, a blog post, a social media post, whether it is a flyer, an email program, uh, whether it, it is a business card, everybody needs graphics. We enable people to create graphics. Fast, free, and easy version of Photoshop. I promise you that you'll be able to create great graphics in Canva faster than you can boot Photoshop. That's the promise of Canva. <laughs> That's a fantasy, right? <laughs> now that, I mean, you know. I'll take two. Right, right. <laughs> so graphics and, you know, visually, whether it's a language or whatever, like everyone is, everyone is visual, right? You talked about the rock star engineer. Let's get a rock star engineer. Yeah. Is, it, is it that you need the rock star designer now or you need somebody who can create that experience because I really don't care if you make this on Rails or whatever other system you want? Or is it just that it's... It's about the experience and how better my experience is to your other experience. Well, I, I think it's very difficult to separate the programmer from the designer today, right? I mean, the ultimate programmer is also a designer. Right. Um, what, what, I, what really irritates me as an end user is that I swear to God that um, in many of these products I encountered, no normal person has ever probably used it. I mean, I just look at, I, I just, it, it's as if, um, okay, so case in point, Google Contacts, okay? So I'm a, I consider myself a power user of Google Contacts. So why is it that I have to manually, for every record I want, add a field for company? You know, why is that? Like, do people at Google not put the company information in contacts? I, I like, I just, it's as if someone hasn't used it. It's as if, you know, engineers only have 50 people in their Google contacts, so it never occurred they to them. They all work at Google. Yeah, and they all worked at Google, so <laughs> why do we need a company field for? And people can, they don't mind three clicks to add the company field. How, how hard could that be? They only, have, if they only have 50 people in their database, so three times 50 is 150. 150 clicks, how hard could that be? I got 16,000 people in my database. Right? I don't want to click, I don't want to click 48,000 times to add companies. So it's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I just, as software designers or UI designers, I don't want to insult your mothers or fathers, but because I, I am probably your mother or father age, but you know you should just say mom or dad here, just sign up. I just want you to, I just, I just want to watch you sign up for my company service, because I bet you most of your parents can't do it. Now, your, you know your parents may be Grace Hopper or somebody, right? But um, it is so hard. It is so. I just, it is amazing to me how hard it is. Uh, to, to this to day, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And then, like, I, you know, the whole capture thing—like, what the hell? Is, the whole purpose of capture is to reduce your installed base, right? And I just, I, I just, I've, I've encountered captures where, like, 
the, the, they're asking me to type a Hebrew word. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a Hebrew keyboard handy. What Still can I say? Yeah. Like right, right. That's my fault. Oh, where did I put my Hebrew keyboard? I want to sign up for your server. Oh my God. So, last question before before I do turn turn it turn it over to the I audience. I like this session. That's like <laughs> fast. You can see I'm feeling pretty loose. I don't just. Are you going somewhere tomorrow? Last, nah, day, just, last work day. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Not hire me? Yeah. So. So uh, for, for everybody here, um, uh, and you know, sales and personal marketing, and I, how do you think people should think about their themselves? Like, you know, you, you're, you're, you're Guy, everyone kind of knows who Guy is, right? You've built a career, you've built that, you know, thing. You know, should people, <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, should, should people think about that, or is that something that just happens? Or, you know, well, what about their personal marketing? Well, first of all, just so you know, it took me 30 years to get to this point. You know, it's not like I like read some Tom Peters article and I said, oh, I, I just, can't get the, there by Tuesday. The brand the called Hollywood. Guy, yeah. So it took me 30 years. Uh, it took me, re and it really took me 30 years of more or less helping people indiscriminately. Right. And by that I mean, you know, I didn't pick and choose only the strategic people to help. I just basically helped everybody. I figured it sorted itself out. And really, that's worked very well for me. So, uh, and it literally has taken 30 years. And, uh, kind, of, kind of a funny story, so um, about two months ago, I signed on with Mercedes as a Mercedes brand ambassador, okay, which is like, I got to tell you, it's not good. Like, I, I could hardly keep a straight face in that negotiation, right? So, like, so they want me to, like, post on their social media, go to car shows, who are them, right? Which, like, I would go to car show anyway, right? So, to go to car shows, interview the CEO of Mercedes and all that, and I said, so what's the conversation? So, um, if you go outside, you'll see this AMG GTS, which is like the total badass Mercedes. I mean, just like, it's like, it's Al Gore's worst nightmare. Right? I mean, it's just, so, um, it has roughly, it has the horsepower of roughly 6.9 Priuses. Um, <laughs> and so as long as I'm this Mercedes ambassador, I get this car. And this car is like, I pay for gas, but that's it, right? It's like, and people, like, people are coming and say, God, you're so freaking lucky, you know, how'd you get to do this? Like, it took 30 years, you don't understand. <laughs> like, Mercedes didn't just call me up randomly, you know? So, um, where was I? So anyway, uh, I, I, think, I think my advice for you is, um, over the course of your career, Anybody who enters the workforce now or in the next five years or even in the past five years, I think you're pretty much going to work for probably 10 companies in your career. And I think that's about, you know, seven companies more than people in my generation, right? So I work for Apple. You know, you work for HP, Apple, and you die, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was doing right, now, now, you know, you work for like Zurb, and then you go to work for Google, and then, and then you work for Snapchat, and then you work for, you know, Feedly, and then you work for YouTube, and then you work for Google, and then, then you die. Um, <laughs> and so, but this is a very different world, right? And so uh, now, uh, I, I think, that that has to change your mindset. Um, that you know, you, you, I think you're you're either learning or you're decaying. That's it. There's no sort of steady state. Show up for work every day, punch the clock, go home, get a watch. Um, I think you're either learning or you're dying. <laughs> and that is a very different world. Uh, that's a good way to go. I think it's yeah. a good world. I mean, I think it's a better world because it becomes more of a meritocracy. Yeah. Um, 
that that uh, that age is is not necessarily going to guarantee you success. Um, I wish it, at this point in my life, I wish it did, but it doesn't. It doesn't. You you, you work for it, so thank you for that. Um, we're going to open it up for uh, some questions. Yeah. yeah. Start over so, here. Uh, you know, Toyota got just in time, and you did. Don't worry, be crappy for many years. And yeah. Then Eric Ries and Steve Blake copied you. Yeah. Uh, what's the next step in evolution? Okay, so what he's talking about is. Um, when I wrote a book called The Art of the Start 10 years ago, one of my constants was don't worry, be crappy. Obviously a pun on don't worry, be happy. And so my thing is that when you innovate, uh, don't work, wait for that perfect world. You know, Macintosh, the first Macintosh, 128K of RAM, which we thought was an ocean of RAM, uh, 400K floppy drive, we thought that was a huge floppy drive, five megabyte, not gigabyte, not terabyte, five megabyte hard disk. We thought that was an ocean of hard, of hard disk storage. Like, what were people gonna do with all that storage? Five megabytes, my God. <laughs> and, and, you know, argue, arguably black and white, too slow a chip, too small a monitor, you know, lots of problems, right? But it was so much better, it was okay to ship. And so what I was trying to tell people is, when you have jumped to the next curve, when you're 10 times better than the status quo, ship it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Now, if you're in biotech, do not listen to this, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Viagra kind of works, yeah. So, um, so, so, uh, it's, it's about the don't worry, be crappy, uh, which I thought was very clever, but it just wasn't as clever as MVP. So Eric Ries wrote, you know, minimum viable product, and uh, that's clever, I must say. I must say he he made more money on that concept than I did. Don't worry, be crappy, because there's like a lot of people they can't like, you know, they don't. There's no don't worry, be crappy stickers, right? <laughs> um, but then I I think I've leapfrog Eric now, so I have the concept of MVVVP. Okay, so I'm adding two V's to MVP. So he says viable. I think you have to be more than viable. You, has, you have to be also be valuable. Because you can make a buck. You can sell stuff for more than it costs to make and be viable, but it's not necessarily valuable. You're not denting the universe. And the second V I wanted to add is validation. That this, this thing that you ship should validate your vision for the world, your prediction for the world. Because you could create a product that's valuable and viable, but it doesn't represent how you think the world will change. And so I'll use a negative example. So let's suppose that Apple decides to create or ship a laser printer, right? So Apple's gonna get back in the laser printer business. <laughs> and you're gonna see this video. I wish I had an English accent so I could imitate him better, but you know, there's gonna be this video where Sir John Ives is gonna say, yeah, we're revolutionizing printing today. We have a blacker, squarer pixel. <laughs> Because people wanted squarer pixels and blacker pixels. And so today, we've reinvented laser printing. Anyway, so, so then now there's this Apple laser printer. So would an Apple laser printer be viable? Absolutely, right? Go to the Apple store, you buy the, the, you buy the MacBook that only has one port because all people have to do is charge it. They never have to do anything else. So you buy that printer, and, and then you'd buy the Apple-labeled printer. It'd be viable. Is it valuable? Not really. No, is it denting the universe if Apple ships a printer with their what, truly square black pixel? Um, and does it validate anything about Apple's vision, which I don't know what it is, but I don't think 
a laser printer at this point would validate anything. So that's an example of a product that could be viable, but it's not valuable or validating. So I think it's now MVVVP, uh, a higher fence. <laughs> what else? Any other questions? Yes. I was wondering about what you said about the experience before, how it uh, restricts our vision. Yeah. Isn't let alone the fact that you are aware, okay, I view everything through the lens of evangelism, kind of sufficient for you to be open to other aspects? And isn't it something well, I mean, in a sense, it's like saying, well, if you know you have a problem with alcohol, you know, does that cure alcoholism? I, I suppose it helps, but, you know, I, it's very hard to remove that lens. And I think it shuts down your perspective. So I think one of the, the, the beauties of being young is, believe it or not, you don't know what you don't know. Because <laughs> if you knew some stuff, you would not try it. Like, so if someone said to me, Guy, you know, why don't you join our company? We're going to create a new operating system for personal computers, right? I think you're, you're freaking out of your mind. It is so hard to do that. You're going to compete with Apple. You're going to compete with Microsoft. You're going to compete with, you know, all this open source stuff. You're going to create another operating system? Like, you know, make me laugh, right? It is too hard. But you, being young, you don't know how hard it is, right? So you try and God help you, you succeed. And then everybody's going to say, yeah, we knew he was going to succeed, right? It's total bullshit. You had no idea. You scared shitless the whole time, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, that's kind of how it works. And so I think, I guess you could be old and totally clueless. That would be empowering. But you could be young and, young and totally clueless. That's more empowering. Um, I think ignorance is not only bliss, it's empowering. It's a very good thing. And um, that, that's the danger of getting old. That you, you know, you know too much, and it closes down your options. Uh, like, you know, I have to say that it, I look back at some of the companies that have succeeded. Would I have invested in Twitter? I mean, does the world need another way to send a 140-character text message? I mean, when Twitter started, there was already text messaging, right? There was chat. There was email. Why would Twitter succeed? I would not have invested. If, if Pierre Amadiar came up to me and said, let's, let's do eBay, I'd say, so Pierre, what you're telling me is that people are going to sell used HP printers online. So if you're selling the printer, you're really not sure you're going to get paid. If you're buying the printer, you're not sure the printer works. Besides that, there's no problems with the eBay model, right? And then, like, then let's say that you know, the two guys from YouTube come to me and say, guy, you know, we need infinite bandwidth and we need infinite server space. So we can enable people to upload illegal video. <laughs> and, and what's going to make us tip is when people drop Mentos into Diet Cokes. <laughs> Sign me up. Where do I invest in that deal? Um, and you know, even Google, at the time Google started, you'd have to say, well, there was AltaVista, there was Inc. to me, like five search engines. Did the world need another search engine? So, so if, if you know, if, if you were running a mini computer company, would you have invested in Apple, a personal computer company? Hmm. We could say, yeah, of course, but, you know, would we truly have done that? Uh, and I, I think that is the danger. Um, so I think you're right. At least I know I'm blinded. But it's still, it's hard to overcome, you know, what I think I know. Really? 
Well, I know that I learned something today. I appreciate you doing One this. One thing, yeah. that's it. Well, more than that. Are we out of time already? We're out of time. That I'm having fast, so much right? fun. Can we take a few more questions? Good luck. Okay, let's do okay. it. I don't see any. Time. I don't see anybody leaving. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. You said you got to uh, where you are partially by helping people indiscriminately. indiscriminately. Would you do that again? What uh, did that work? Did that not work? Oh, I, I mean. I'm here, aren't I? Um, yeah, so I, now of course 300 people are gonna ask me to do something right right now. Uh, I, I completely think it works. I, I am a big believer in karma. And I think that God up there, she's keeping track. And at the end of my life, when God says, guy, what did you do? Man, I wanna say I helped a lot of people. Now. Okay, this is where we're going to go off the rails, okay? But um, I, I, I realize this is completely incorrect theologically. My wife has a master's in theology, corrects me all the time. So I, I understand that the concept is not that if you're a good person, you get into heaven. It's not quid pro quo like that. But, you know, truly, who understands God, right? So what if they're wrong? What if it is quid pro quo? So why would you take a chance with all eternity? This is, right? I mean, this is not something you should fuck up. So, so to give you my perspective, yeah, we're gonna really. I travel a lot. So in my mind, when you die, the first fork in the road is, you know, heaven or hell. So hell is stuck in a car. Not an autonomous car, just a regular car. You're stuck in a car for all of eternity. Heaven is you're in an airplane. You're flying around at your top of the sky, in the blue sky, that's heaven. Now I further refine my theory that not only are you in an airplane, it's a three-class airplane. So you could be in coach, you could be in business class, or you could be in first class. And then subsequently I further refine this theory that it could be Emirates, or Singapore Airlines, or Delta. <laughs> so now, my, my, my mental model for my behavior is, I wanna get into heaven. I wanna be in that A380, and I want it to be Emirates. <laughs> and I understand that all the great Christian theologians believe it is not quid pro quo. But just in case they're wrong, I'm gonna help as many people as possible because I really wanna be in first class Emirates <laughs> for all of eternity. <laughs> so that's my approach to life. <laughs> Down here at the back. Yeah, uh, let me take you back to 1983 when I first became aware of Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he also was involved in, in saving the, the California condor, which, which was on the Steve Jobs did that? Back in yeah, Jobs was involved with that. How much was Jobs uh, driven by innate curiosity, and how much of it was just trying to make a buck? The difference that you spoke of between the evangelist and the sales. Yeah. Um, Steve Jobs is a complex person, or was a complex person. I was never close. I was never in his inner circle. That's probably why I survived. Um, 
I, I honestly think it was both for him, that he had a killer instinct for making money, uh, but he also had a, a true vision. And I don't throw the V word around loosely, right? I think there's only been about maybe four or five people in American history who've truly had vision. Steve Jobs would be one. Walt Disney would be another. Elon Musk, I think, is the closest thing to a visionary today that we have. And, and so it was, I don't think it's the opposite of vision is money. I think you can have money and vision, or want money and vision. I think he was both. He was a very complex person. Um, really, I consider myself a mere mortal, and he's kind of a god. And I don't expect the mortal to understand his operating system. All right, Steve Jobs, those kind of people, they have a different OS. It would be like trying to explain to a fish what it feels like to be a bird. I, I, it's just very hard to wrap your mind around that concept. So he just, he lived on a different plane. He, and so he wasn't, he wasn't mean, he wasn't you know, malevolent or whatever. He just, he just had a different way of looking at the world. Um, uh, uh, a few months ago, I went to a panel where there were only women who worked for Steve Jobs. And every one of them said, and this is back in the 80s, okay, so this is way before Title IX and way before political correctness and you know, all this kind of stuff. Every one of them said that Steve Jobs didn't care about their gender. In Steve Jobs' world, it was very simple. You were either great or crap. And it didn't matter if you were straight, gay, black, white, yellow, brown, Mexican, Japanese, Korean, you know, South African. It didn't matter if you're straight, gay, Muslim, whatever. Either you were great or shit. That's it. And that, and that is a beautiful, in a sense, that's the true meritocracy, right? Um, and I think that's why he attracted a certain kind of person that, you know, it was truly, it was a really hard-ass meritocracy, don't get me wrong, right? We weren't all there, it wasn't all unicorns and pixie dust, trust me. We weren't sitting there, you know, drinking white wine in our, in our Birkenstocks and singing Kumbaya every night. Um, he worked us to death, but, you know, I think, I think one of the greatest things he, he did is that when you work for Steve Jobs, you knew you worked for someone who could tell you if you did something great or crap. That a lot of people can't say that. And there's a very, you know, there are, there are some large companies in the valley with two letter names that I, I don't think they could say that their boss could truly tell you that's crap or that's great. Um, like, to this day, I mean, if you look at a MacBook Pro, right, or you know, actually, if you look at a MacBook Air, look at a MacBook Air. How many of you use MacBook Airs? Okay, so MacBook Air is like, it's this cool, thin block of, looks like machined aluminum that some Tibetan monk made while chanting, right? Right? That's what a MacBook Air looks like. And then you look at like this big, thick, black, ugly, plastic piece of crap running windows. So, <laughs> so like, I don't understand. I don't understand, like, you know, if you work for the companies that make the big, thick, black, ugly piece of crap, how come you can't see a MacBook Air and say, that's what we should build? Can't you at least steal the right stuff? 
<laughs> you know, I, I grant you, maybe you can't invent it, but can't you look at an air and say, that's what we should build? Do you honestly wake up in the morning and say, we need something that's big and thick and black and plastic. <laughs> I just, I don't understand that whatsoever. I re, I, how do we get on this? What else? I'm just having so much fun. That's I good. Just, One more question, Doug. I hope you're recording yep. this, yeah. 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 Back then. But yeah. what else would you say would be something you wish you did do or wish you didn't do? Okay. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so number one, I'm the person who quit Apple twice, right? With hindsight, that kind of impugns my intelligence. <laughs> if I had stayed at, at Apple either of those two times, I would not be here today, okay? Um, I don't mean I would have died. I mean, <laughs> I would already be the in one. left, yeah. Right, right. So, so that, um, I, I wish, looking back, that I, God, I'm talking like I'm at my own funeral already. Uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish, when I, I went to Stanford, and I graduated in three and a half years. And I look back, and that was so stupid. What I should have done is I should have gone and I should have spent a semester at Stanford in Japan or Stanford in Italy or Stanford in the UK or Stanford anywhere, right? But no, I was a diligent Oriental and I wanted to like graduate as fast as possible so I had like boatloads of AP credits and I had took like 20 units every quarter because I wanted to graduate fast and like work for the rest of my life for bozos. Like, what was I thinking? And so now I'm trying to force my kids to like spend more time in college. Um, so I, I, regret, I regret not prolonging my undergraduate studies. I wish I had taken it slower there. Um, I've never learned a foreign language. I wish I learned a foreign language. Uh, I took up hockey at 48. And I love hockey. I play hockey every day I'm in town. I played hockey at 6.30 this morning. And I wish I'd taken up hockey when I was eight, not 48. 48 is a little old to learn how to skate. <laughs> um, but you know, in Hawaii, there's not a lot of pond hockey. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, now the story you're alluding to, uh, I'll tell you, this is a great story. So, about 15 years ago, Mike Moritz of Sequoia calls me and asks me if I want to interview for a CEO position of a company. And I ask him which company. He tells me. So I go look at the website. I figure out. My wife and I were living in San Francisco. We had one child already. We had one boy. She was in beta, using language you guys would understand, uh, with our second child. And, um, and so I said, you know, Mike, I just I don't want to drive one hour each way every day. I looked at the company. I don't see how it can be a real business because, you know, all they do is these two guys, they, they kind of collect their favorite websites. And so I turned down the opportunity to interview for the CEO position of Yahoo. I would have been really the first CEO there. And so let's suppose I wasn't so stupid that I took the interview. I probably would have gotten the job because when the person who funds the company and is on the board asks you to interview for the CEO position, you know, he's made up his mind. They're not going to now do a hijack and struggle, Russell Reynolds, you know, nationwide search for the best candidate. The guy who's funded the company calls you up and says, do you want to interview? The guy has made up his mind. I would have gotten the job. 
So I figured, you know, how much would I have gotten of Yahoo if I had taken that job? 10%. Like, why so much? I would have been the first adult, right? So, <laughs> so now I get 10%, get 10% of Yahoo, and then now we need to be conservative. So let's say two years into four-year vesting, I peter principal out. I reach the height of my incompetence. You know, people are now complaining. They need someone who can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Rupert Murdoch, Barry Diller, Steve Case, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Steve Ballmer, you know, all the big hitters. So now they want to fire me, right? And I'll tell you what would happen. They would have had this board meeting. They wouldn't fire me. And I'd say, you know what? You cannot fire me because you might not have noticed, you clueless white men, I am Japanese-American. I'm an Asian-American. I'm considered an oppressed minority in California, right? So you cannot fire me. It's called wrongful termination. So, so I said, so you fire me today. Tomorrow, there'll be a wrongful termination lawsuit on your desktop. And then turn your TV to CNN, because live from the front of, of Yahoo's building, there'll be 60 old Japanese people, crippled, wheelchairs. <laughs> protesting the wrongful termination of one of their own. And I said, now imagine we go to court. Imagine go to court and you know, like, imagine I'm on the stand. And I say, you know, this is a pattern of discrimination in World War II. <laughs> in World War II, America was fighting three countries, Italy, Japan, and Germany. Did we take all the German Americans and stick them in internment camps? No. Did we go to New York and take all the Italians out of Little Italy and stick them in tournament camp? No. What about the Japanese? Yeah. You took all of us, you stuck us in these camps in the desert. Data point number one. Right? <laughs> Data point number two. It's the end of World War II. What country drops not one but two atomic weapons on another country? America, on Japan. Data point number two. Right? Data point number three. You're firing me today. <laughs> this is a pattern of racial discrimination. <laughs> so then the board would have said, time out, guy, time out, guy. What would it take for you to go away quietly? I said, you know what, you obviously don't want me, but you've also budgeted the options already, right? You created the option pool with me getting this, so just accelerate my vesting. Just give me all what I should have gotten if I'd stayed the whole time. And then I'll sign a non-disparagement, non-compete, non-whatever. I'll sign whatever you want. Just give me the 10%. So they would have done that. So by my calculation, this refusal to even interview cost me $2 billion. <laughs> now, $2 billion, you know, $2 billion here, $2 billion there, it adds up. <laughs> so. I'm glad you find this funny. So, I've been thinking about this for about 15 years, <laughs> six weeks, seven days, <laughs> five hours, hours 26, 26 seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I have to tell you, you know, I've come to, I've come to grips with this, that for the love of my wife to be there as my four children were growing up, I basically picked my family over working 80 hours a week to make Yahoo successful. So I picked my family over money. That's what I did with hindsight. So this is where you should clap. Um, <laughs> can I ask you something? Am I the best Zerb lunch speaker you ever had? Uh, <laughs> clearly winning. Okay, so. <laughs> Here's the problem. The problem is that 
for the love of my wife and my children, not taking that job, it explains one billion, okay? From the bottom of my heart, I tell you, what hurts me, what offends me, is the second billion. Because the second billion shows that I was stupid. The second billion shows that I could not embrace the internet. That I was so successful in the personal computer curve, I could not embrace the internet curve. I thought the personal computer curve included the internet that the internet was just what was coming through the modem cable, right? It was part of the personal computer curve. So I was so stupid, I could not embrace that Yahoo was a different curve. And that's the part that really pisses me off, that billion. Um, so that's, that's the inside scoop on that story. Okay. How about one last that's, question? Because I just like, I'm okay, so one, enjoying one, this. One last question. Very so seldom. You know, most awesome. times I have to like this, give this totally scripted keynote. I, like, I can't swear. I can't do anything. I'm you're, 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 so in good, you're in good hands here. Really, I feel so free. I feel like liberated today. So last question down here at the back. Wax off. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Is there a question here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> oh. And that's it. Good night. <laughs> Well, okay, so first of all, don't go all Republican on me. And, okay, so what I was first addressing is the process of editing, right? So I, wax on, wax off was about the OCD-ness of editing that I have. I love to edit. And, and whether I'm 30 or 60, I love to edit. But you're right. There is a philosophical contradiction there that if it takes you, you know, years to become a sushi chef, then how do you become an innovative sushi chef? <laughs> I guess it's one way of looking at it, right? I think that's very hard. I think that's very hard. And I mean, that's why, you know, that's why one needs to hang around young people. <laughs> because I really, because you don't know what you don't know. You truly, you have no freaking idea what you don't know. And that is a beautiful thing. Because it, I, I gotta tell you, you know, if, if I was around in the you know, day one of Canva, I don't know, I might have told them, well, you know, how can you possibly compete against Adobe, right? Adobe has Photoshop, they have Photoshop user, Photoshop plugin, Photoshop books, Photoshop, how can you possibly compete with that? And the web is too slow, people can't edit graphics online, and you know, they're never gonna do that. Like, who knows, what, what stupidity I would have spewed forth because I knew too much, right? Um, that's why it's so delightful you know, every day to read about these new companies that you just shake your head at, right? And I, I, could make the, I could make the point that the companies that are successful are like maybe the most dumbass ideas you heard. I mean, it's, I gotta tell you, man, I, I'm not saying every dumbass idea will succeed, but man, so many dumbass ideas succeed. You just, you know, if you had said, okay, so we're gonna enable people to rent out rooms in their house to total strangers on the internet. <laughs> Wow, sign me up for Airbnb, man. I like, you know, wow. Or, or you know, we're gonna like let people who you don't know, might not have insurance, might not have a background check, pick you up and take you someplace in their car. 
wow, yeah, sign me up for Uber. I mean, I, but you know, if you don't know what you don't know, uh, that's a beautiful thing, really. It's a beautiful thing. I wish, you know, the way, the way life should work is you should be born with all this knowledge and you should gradually lose the knowledge. <laughs> really. You should be born with all this knowledge and lose all the knowledge so that I think that keeps you constantly young. It keeps you constantly thinking. That is, uh, stuff. it is a beautiful thing. And um, Can I just say one more thing while I have this podium? <laughs> Donald Trump is a freaking idiot. I just, <laughs> I just, I just, really. I don't know who's watching all these broadcasts, but if you're, <laughs> If you're not in the United States and you're watching this, I just want to apologize on behalf of all Americans for the stupidity of this political process that we have. It's, oh my God, it's like... It's different. Can they, like, seriously, like the people in Ireland, do they say like, <laughs> those dumbass Americans, like, you know, they, they drink this weak beer, they like vote for Donald Trump, what are they thinking they, of? They, they, think, they think reality TV has just taken over the world. Really? Like, I just... I just can't even wrap my mind around that, so. Uh. Well, we could, we could probably uh, sit here and talk for another hour about uh, Donald we Trump or, or not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate you coming. This has been this so been fun. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, our next uh, soapbox is going to be with uh, Sandy McPherson, who is the founder of Quib. So again, appreciate you all coming out, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.